Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode number 8.5, the fifth episode in our series on Grand Canyon National Park. In this episode, Brian speaks with park ranger Perry Spreiser about modern history of the Grand Canyon. Ranger Perry shares stories from Spanish explorers arriving at the Grand Canyon in search of gold to it becoming a tourist destination. Before we get to the conversation, we would like to ask for your help to grow our audience by telling your friends, subscribing, and leaving a review. Also, we love creating each episode, but it takes significant time and effort. Please consider supporting our work through Patreon, which provides a way for listeners to support the show. Just go to our website, everybodysnationalparks.com, and click on Support the Show. Thank you for listening. Now for this week's discussion on Grand Canyon National Park. So I'm here with Perry Spreiser, Public Affairs Specialist, Grand Canyon National Park. Perry, it's great to see you again. It's great to hear your voice again. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. I'm excited to get to talk about Grand Canyon. We're excited, too, and this is uh, old home week for us because you were our ranger for one of our ranger talks, and so this is uh, it's exciting again. So, again, the venue in our living room is not as... Uh, not as exciting as at that small uh, amphitheater looking out over uh, the Grand Canyon at the South Rim, but I guess we'll make do. Yeah, it's always hard to make your house quite as exciting as the canyon, so I understand that. That's right. So we spoke with one of your colleagues recently about the ancient indigenous and Native American experience at the Grand Canyon. So we thought with you we'd pick up a little bit more on the modern history. So do you, and we can tell us in narrative form with some good stories as well as you were so good with us and our kids for our ranger talk. But can we just start with the Grand Canyon and maybe those Spanish explorers? And who are they? Why were they there? And what did they think they came across when they came to the Grand Canyon? Yes, yeah, so the Spanish exploration started in 1540. And there's actually this really big push at that time in the world that exploration was, it was vital. It was very important. And so sending people out all over the world kind of their mission of the time. And when they did that, they had basically three goals. They wanted to spread the word of God. They wanted to gain as much glory for Spain. They wanted as much gold as possible. And the gold is what was really pushing them um, up here towards Grand Canyon. And as they came into what is nowadays Arizona, they started coming in contact with different Native American tribes. And, and the they I'm talking about is the Coronado Expedition, again, of 1540. They started coming into contact with different Native American tribes. And they kept asking, where's the gold? Where's the gold? And, and the tribes kept saying, oh, it's further up. It's further up. You have to keep going to look for it. And so they kept going further north and further north, um, running into to more tribes and, and different people all along the way until finally they came up here to Grand Canyon. And it wasn't the entire expedition that made it up to Grand Canyon. It was a small little subset of that group, about 20 people, about 20 men. And as they came up here to Grand Canyon, word had already come up before them saying, hey, these people are coming, and they look different than us, and they act different than us, and they're on these really strange animals that they're riding up here. They're just very strange. And you can imagine, as, as a Native American, never seeing a Spaniard before, they would look different. And they would dress different. The Spaniards were wearing chain mail, and these little linked pieces of mail all connected together to stop bullets um, and or sword fights. And and Native Americans didn't have a need for any kind of clothing like that. So again, they just they looked very different. And they were riding on the backs of horses. A little known fact: the Coronado expedition in 1540 introduced horses into North America. 
So you can imagine this very intimidating group of people coming towards you, and you don't really know what they're looking for. And so as they arrived to Grand Canyon, they were met by a Hopi elder. And it was this man's idea to protect his family, to protect his tribe as much as possible. And he thought that if he did everything he could to help this Coronado expedition without actually really doing anything to help them, that would be the best way to protect his people. So for roughly a month, he took this tribe, or took this group uh, back and forth over the south rim of Grand Canyon. And they would come up to the canyon and they would look down in the, the Spanish explorers and they would say, we see the Colorado River down there. How do we get there? And the Spanish explorers, excuse me, the uh, Hopi elder would say, you know, I don't know. I've never been down there before. When, of course, that was a lie. They'd been living in this area anywhere from twelve to 15,000 years. <laughs> so to say, I don't know how to get down to that river, again, that idea of I'm going to help you, but not actually help you at all. And after about a month of this, the explorers just had enough. They tried to go down to the river on their own, not realizing truly how immense Grand Canyon is, and they failed. And those men came back up to the rim, they joined their small group, and they left Grand Canyon. And their words and their opinions on the canyon were so strong that they actually basically spread their news all over Europe. Grand Canyon is so bad. This place is so terrible, so ugly. There's nothing here. Don't return. <laughs> and their words were picked up so believed by everyone in Europe that Europeans did not return to Grand Canyon for over 300 years, which I think is pretty incredible. And a fun fact that as they were going around asking, where is the gold? Where is the gold? The Spanish word for gold is the American Indian word for bison or buffalo. No. So when they were asking for gold, they kept saying, it's further north, it's further north. And and then the Americans were saying the bison they're further north they're further north, and so there's that that miscommunication in the languages, which I think is very comical when you think about it. It's uh, it is very comical. I I thought I was projecting, and I thought it was just uh, the the Native American tribes south of the Grand Canyon basically saying, yeah, it's around the corner, just not here. So keep going, right, just right. leave now. But um, you know, it's like the. Uh, you know the Chevy Nova and uh, the Spanish word for Nova. Uh, you know, uh, you know Nova in Spanish means no go. No right? go, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's kind of the same thing. That's that's actually pretty, pretty funny for uh, you know obviously the Spanish invasion of Mexico and North America serious stuff. But this is actually a nice comedy relief of clashes of civilizations, I guess. Absolutely, and then of course we know they didn't find any gold at the end anyway, because all there was were bison. Yeah, all there, there were plenty of bison, yes. So let's spin it forward a little bit. So the Spanish didn't have a great experience there, so other Europeans, when did they arrive? And I, you know, I know one thing was the Powell expedition, which was a kind of a big deal at the time, but what, uh, how does that narrative link up at, at some point? Yeah, so we mentioned, uh, you know, when did Europeans return to Grand Canyon? They, they didn't really return to Grand Canyon other than in tourism like we see today. When, when white people started returning to Grand Canyon at that time, they were no longer Europeans, but now they were American. And this was after the Civil War. And as the Civil War, before it started, people didn't really travel. Vacation wasn't a thing. You didn't go far away from your home. And after these young men were, were in the war, where they had to pack up their lives and, and maybe walk days, weeks, months to get to their different duty stations, they got home and they started getting really restless because they learned they had these amazing things connected to the bottom of their legs, feet, 
and that feet could take them to beautiful places. So we started having this big push of people coming out west to explore. And John Wesley Powell, who was a, a captain, excuse me, a major in the in the army during the Civil War, he he was looking at a map one day and he noticed that inside Grand Canyon, we knew the canyon was here, but inside of it, it said unexplored territory. And it was one of the last places on the map where it said unexplored territory. And so John Wesley Powell got the idea that he wanted to go explore it. He wanted to be the first white person to map it. And he surely did. Um, he came three different expeditions and each one just outrageous adventures and stories, but he did successfully complete the river trip and did successfully map the Colorado River. So at what point was the concept of the Grand Canyon as a destination, it sounds like it was evolving already then, as a destination begin? And when was the notion of, you know, maybe we should protect this so it doesn't end up looking like, you know, Niagara Falls West at the time, right? When you have a lot of commercial stuff at the rim. So how did that evolution take place? Yeah, so John Wesley Powell came through kind of before that was a thought. Um, he, came, he came through in 1869. Um, and then Grand Canyon was a forest reserve um, in the late 1800s, in the late 1890s. And, um, and so that was really the first time that we were like, maybe we should set this aside. And the forest reserves, they were there primarily for um, mining and, and timber production. And so they cared a lot about what was happening on, on the rim and back um, into the forest because that's where the trees are. And it wasn't really until 1908 that when Grand Canyon was made into a national monument, that that idea of let's make this more into a tourist destination, so that idea really started to take off. And of course, a huge component of that was the introduction to the train, the Santa Fe Railroad, and it was completed in 1901. Um, so that was really the, the beginning of that idea of let's set it aside, let's bring people out here, let's show them one of the seven wonders of the world. And by the way, that train, you can still take the train up from Williams. So if you want that turn-of-the-century experience, you can still arrive by the rails and by the cars. So that's that's still available. Yes, it is. It's, it's very fun. I've done it before. <laughs> yeah, we didn't, but it looked very fun. And because and, I didn't realize really, truly, the train takes you right to Grand Canyon Village. You're right at the base of the lodge, and it is truly right there. I didn't trust it enough. I just should have looked at a map. So we now have a park. We have access to the park, I want to bring in, you know, Mary Coulter and kind of her impact on Grand Canyon National Park because I think it's, uh, to me, it was pretty important. I didn't know this before I arrived. So what can you tell us about Mary? I think Mary Coulter is an amazing part of Grand Canyon history. But Mary Coulter would not have been here if it weren't for the Fred Harvey Company. So I really think we should take a tiny step back um, and realize that Fred Harvey Company, Fred Harvey himself, was an amazing businessman. He had this vision for how to take something like Grand Canyon you know, in the early 1900s. Yes, there's a train up here, but the people staying in tents, people not staying in um, you know, reasonable accommodations, food is bad. And he, and he saw this and he wanted to make it into truly what it could be. He wanted to make the accommodations just as nice as the canyon itself. So when, when Fred Harvey came, um, not only did he have this amazing sense of of business, but he was also one of the first people, one of the first businessmen who really started taking a chance on women. And that's how Mary Jane Coulter started coming into Grand Canyon was through Fred Harvey. And Mary Jane Coulter had a hand in most of the buildings that we're going to see up on the South Rim. 
Um, she was one of the first female architects out in the West, and a lot of her work is still preserved out here, again, especially in Grand Canyon because it is a national park. And Mary Jane Coulter had this fantastic vision where she would come to an area and she would spend a lot of time in an area learning about it and researching it and truly experiencing everything that she could, and then she would design her structures to fit that area. So that's how we have things like the Hopi House here on the South Rim. That is her very first building that she ever created. And if you go up to it, um, there are doors that you enter and exit because you know, we're not uh, American Indians, but she actually went to a tribe um, in the Southwest um, of Hopi people, and she and she went in and really learned as much as she could about each of their individual buildings. And she built the Hopi house so specifically that uh, they actually, the Hopi people came in and they're like, wow, this is, this is spot on. Um, in fact, it's a little too spot on. Let's change a few things. Um, and I think that's really amazing that, that her detail, it's there and her work is gorgeous. And thankfully, being inside of a national park, we care about that and we protect it and we preserve it so it's exactly like it did 100 years ago. Yeah, we visited the Hopi House prior to your talk. Actually, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, right before your ranger talk, and it doesn't strike you as a facsimile. I thought it was, well, this is something that was built here and was here and is being preserved by the Hopi. So I found that that Phantom Ranch, it all very much fits the landscape and the attitude of Grand Canyon where you think this is... This came along with the canyon itself, you know, and it wasn't something that was a relatively recent construction. So I found her story to be remarkable. And again, you know, the early days of national parks, you know, there's a few times, you know, Everglades I can think of, but there's a few times where women are very uh, instrumental in in shaping the park. And Mary seems to be one of those women who shaped park and has a, a shaped Grand Canyon has an impact on it for uh, for a long, long time. Yeah, she definitely did. And, and I love how you said the Hopi House is, you know, it's part of the canyon, like it's always been there. And that's exactly how she wanted to build that and all of her buildings, and especially what came to my mind was the Desert View Watchtower. Her idea yes. was that as you're walking up to the Desert View Watchtower, that it would just slowly grow out of the canyon. And by the time you were right next to it, you know, at the base of it, then it'd be fully out of the canyon. And so just everything about Every aspect of what she designed was just perfect. It's very clever because you're right. From the parking lot, it doesn't look as, um, and, and when I say impressive, I mean impressive in terms of size until you get right up to it and you realize, wow, this is a pretty big, actually, construction. So it's a very clever trick of, of architecture and perspective. It's actually five stories tall, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Would you mind relaying us the story of, kind of the mystery of the honeymooners Glenn and Bessie Hyde. So this is uh, this is something I found uh, found fascinating. It's a bit of the lore of Grand Canyon. Do you, do you know that story? I do know a little bit about that story. I'm not an expert on it, um, but what I can tell you about the the, the honeymooners. Um, so this happened again in the in the early 1900s. I'm not sure of the of the exact date, um, but it was two honeymooners um, who were not from Arizona. They were not used to this type of water. And Glenn, the husband, um, he loved paddling, and that was definitely a passion of his. And so he had this idea of, you know, my darling wife, let's go for a paddle down the Colorado River. Kind of like those hot topics. People were just starting to do it. It was one of those crazy adventures, and they wanted to have that for their honeymoon. And my understanding is that Bessie was not as excited about it as Glenn may have been. And unfortunately, they didn't have 
the proper boat. They didn't have the proper gear. And at the end of the day, pretty interesting. We don't actually know what happened to them. Um, We've never found them. And there are, you know, you can speculate about anything. Um, Maybe they both drowned. Maybe something else happened. Maybe they came in contact with a tribe and the tribe helped them out and, you know, they kind of assimilated with them. We we don't actually know at the end of the day what happened to Glenn and Bessie Hyde. But one of my favorite tall tales um, is that that Bessie may have actually pushed Glenn in because she was so tired of being on the Colorado River, something that she was not comfortable with, that she was not enjoying at all. So maybe she pushed him in, hiked up, and then worked in the region until her until her passing. I, I love that tall tale. I feel I feel bad for poor uh, poor Glenn, but he should have he should have known better. Right, he married her, right? <laughs> Yeah, he he did. So just with the time we have left, I'll I'll bring it all the way up to the present. So next year, uh, twenty nineteen is the centennial of the park. What can we expect in terms of looking back at the past, and what can we expect for the future? I think that's a great question. So of course, the fun things about the centennial of Grand Canyon National Park. We have uh, this amazing woman who's working with us right now who it's her job to basically focus on the centennial. And I'm sitting in a room right now actually looking at the calendar. And every single month there are such exciting um, events that Grand Canyon will be participating in um, and that we'll be hosting here in the park. So it's basically going to be a year-long party, which we're really excited about. Um, But then, of course, on a more serious side of things, Grand Canyon National Park is 100 years old. Basically, what, looking forward, how are we going to influence the next 100 years? So we have ideas for how we might be tweaking park ranger programs, um, tweaking how we interact with the public, trying to get more public engagement, um, and trying to hear back from visitors who are coming to Grand Canyon to tell us what they want and what they want to see as as we move forward as a national park. Um, and, And the whole system, you know, of course, National Park Service had its centennial in 2016, and we're thinking about learning about what we've learned from the last 100 years and how we're going to apply that for moving forward and continuing to be relevant and continuing to have 6.25 or so million people coming into Grand Canyon every year. How can we keep them coming? How can we keep them interested? And uh, and we're looking forward to to everything this next year has to offer, and, and we're very excited to see truly what happens um, in our next hundred years. Well, I'm excited too. You know, we uh, that was just a pinprick of a uh, trip we took in the winter time, and uh, you know, going down to Phantom Ranch and rafting. That we have, we have tons of things uh, we want to do, so we want to make it back for that second hundred years as well, and uh, and see if uh, see if maybe we can solve that mystery of what happened to the honeymooners. But uh, again, I think before we leave Perry Spreiser here, the last question we usually ask our guests is, do you have a story? where you know, you're there every day, it's your job, but do you have a story where you've just been struck at some point and said, wow, this is truly a magical, special place that doesn't exist really anywhere on this earth? Do you have a moment while working or maybe while you were off or maybe on a hike where something happened and you just said, all right, this is now, this is now really grabbing me? Yeah, so every day. <laughs> I probably think that every single day. Um, I'm one of the lucky rangers. You know, I, I do get to work along the rim of Grand Canyon and on my weekends. A lot of the times I go down into Grand Canyon and I try to explore all the nooks and crannies that are down there, but there's just millions and millions of them. So I haven't been able to see them all yet. Um, and I just think 
you know, no matter no matter what is happening in your in your day, in your world, in your life, if you come up to Grand Canyon and you just find a, a quiet spot where you can hear those natural sounds, sounds of the wind, the sounds of the birds, of the water. Sometimes you can even hear the rapids from up on top of the rim. And if you can find one of those places and just be and just sit and enjoy, you will not have a single problem when you walk away. The canyon just has a way of, of fixing everything. And just be present. That's great advice and advice I need to take uh, more of. And, and you're right. So once again, Perry Spreiser, thank you very much for your time. You know, you can see Perry, you can find Perry at Grand Canyon National Park. And uh, we really appreciate your time. Yes, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybody'snationalparks.com. While there, consider clicking on support the show. You may find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you like the show, write a review, give us a five-star rating, and please tell your friends. You may also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or send us your comments at everybody'snationalparks.com forward slash contact. We'd love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag Everybody's National Parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.